I came across a picture this week, and I think it should be on the screen. Um, it will be in a minute, but anyway, some of you will remember of in days gone by where you used to get these guys going around the streets with sandwich boards that said, the end is nigh, and they were, it was all very doom and gloom. Well, this is a good contradiction to that. The beginning is near, and in many ways, we are on a journey which we're only really at the beginning of in our faith. And maybe we're only ever at the beginning until all things are complete. So just a a thought there to begin as we're thinking about what it means to travel, to recognize, and to to be guided and to guide. So next slide. Uh, Today is Epiphany, the 6th of January, and that word, that Greek word means to be manifest. It's the word that's used in verse 7 of chapter 2 in Matthew, where the star appeared. And uh, interesting take on it where Sarah shared earlier on. Thank you for that thought, Sarah, Sarah, that the idea that the star didn't just appear then, but it was ancient. It had been there for thousands of years. And, uh, you know, just reminding us that the God is the morning star. He's the ancient of days. Um, and Christ is the fulfillment and the representation of God who existed from the beginning, through whom all things were made. So epiphany means to come to light, to appear, to be manifest upon or to something or someone. And we read in Matthew chapter 2 that the wise men, the magi, they saw the star in the east and they came to worship. Christ. They saw the star on the east and they came to worship Christ. They came from a long way away. They came from the other end of the world, certainly as was known at the time. These, you couldn't have imagined that people from further away could have come. That was as far away as was possible to imagine. And it speaks highly of how God draws all people, doesn't matter how far away they are, all people are drawn to the light. That light is there to guide all people. And some of us will take longer than others to get there. Some of us will take longer than others to recognize it. But that light is there for the whole world. Jesus didn't come to save the people of Kurt Newton and East Calder and to show them his light. He came for the whole world. He is the savior of the world, the light of the world. I read a commentary on Epiphany written by a guy called Noel Matthias. He set up a charity called Revolution. And he wrote, when thinking about the journey of the Magi to worship the Messiah, we would do well to consider these three questions. How far are we willing to travel? Will we recognize the incarnate Christ when we have found him? And have our efforts guided anyone else to find Christ? Good questions to think about. Um, He also said this about the reading from Isaiah. He said, Isaiah's call to lift up your eyes is a call to participation. Everyone, even those on the margins, even those far away, even those on the margins of power, have an equal stake in uncovering the divine in our world. It's an inclusive call 
not just to the Israelites, but to all nations. All nations will come to your light. And the reward is clear. You will be radiant and your hearts will throb with joy and delight at the treasure you have discovered and uncovered. In the Old Testament, God's glory is always associated with God's presence. The treasure then uncovered is the uncontainable presence in the world around us. He said this, God's presence unites everyone into sons and daughters, a measure of wholeness that God brings to everyone who heeds God's call. The light is there for all, so that all would be united into brothers and sisters. It's certainly a really hope-filled picture that Isaiah paints of all nations, including rich men on camels, bearing gold and incense, all being drawn to the light of the glory of the Lord. And as a result, people will be able to see and will be radiant. Here's what Isaiah says again. The Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. There is a sense that we are all travelers on this journey that we call life. And we're all searching for truth and meaning purpose in some way or another. The strange-looking wise travelers from the East must have stood out as being different to those who lived in Bethlehem, those who'd lived there all their lives. Who were these strangers coming to worship? Well, as Gentiles, non-Jews, some would have looked down upon them as idol-worshipping sinners who were destined to the fires of the pit. They wouldn't have felt any compulsion to welcome them as fellow travelers. But when the reality of Christ sunk in and the early believers were coming to terms with what Jesus' mission was all about, they began to realize that Gentiles were fellow heirs to the kingdom members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us that almost word for word in Ephesians chapter 3. And in that same letter, Paul makes it clear that in Christ, all people have access to God through faith and that the mystery of Christ has been and is being uncovered by God's Spirit present with us now. I don't know about you, but I like the idea that God is being uncovered. That there are treasures still to be discovered in God. And that both the treasure and the search for it will last forever. Which reminds us of that quote that I mentioned earlier. The treasure uncovered is the uncontainable presence in the world around us. And God's presence unites everyone into sons and daughters. So let's look at the questions again. How far are we willing to travel? Will we recognize 
the incarnate Christ when we found him and have our efforts guided anyone else to find Christ? Well, there will be lots of possible answers to those questions, but I wonder if something we might like to consider is the idea that we'll probably at some point or other come up against kingdoms that are not consistent with the kingdom of God. And we'll need to be prepared to stand against injustice whenever we find it. Matthew tells us that Jesus was born during the reign of King Herod. Herod was fearful of competition. He was insecure. He sought to destroy any hint of opposition. He put to death his brother, his sister and brother-in-law and his three sons because they were a threat to his power. In many ways, he wasn't unlike other world leaders then and even today. Even today, we can see shades of this kind of kingdom and oppression and the oppression it brings to the poor. Somebody said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But we have Christ's power now being revealed in that star. We've seen it. And Christ's power is a new kind of power that comes to us and fills us with compassion and justice. These are the weapons of Christ's power, compassion, justice, and love. Jesus began a different kingdom, the true kingdom, rooted and established in love. And so when Jesus lived, he found himself in opposition to the power-hungry kingdoms of the day. To this extent, Jesus could be considered subversive, and his followers must also be subversive. Jesus didn't, didn't begin a new religion. I like what Richard Rohr says about that. He says this, that the idea of Jesus founding a new religion was probably the furthest thing from Jesus' mind. He was a Jew through and through. And while honoring and emphasizing the essential and core elements of his tradition, he just ignored and he even undercut most non-essential religious norms and mandates. This is rarer than you might think, and it is variably, invariably is the character of any true reformer. They know that they are merely following the constant thread of spirit. Jesus constantly followed the thread of the spirit, the works of the Father. Richard Rohr goes on to say this. He says, Jesus had the courage and the clarity to sort out what was perennial wisdom from what was unreal, passing, merely cultural, or even destructive. John the Baptist described Jesus as a winnowing fan that separates the grain from the chaff. So if we don't winnow, we spend a lot of time protecting chaff or non-essentials. I would agree that as a church, if we don't winnow out the chaff, we'll find it very difficult to guide anyone else to find Christ. Because people are looking for authentic experiences, and so anything that gets in the way of that isn't going to help. Some examples might be our worship of church buildings and rituals. 
our silence in the face of real need, our judgmental attitudes towards those of different faith or race or sexuality. Jesus embodied the Father heart of God. He followed the thread of the Spirit. He focused on the things that mattered. And he said it all and did it all in love. We can do the same. So, for the last time, let's consider these three questions again. How far are we willing to travel to discover Christ? Will we recognize the incarnate Christ when we found him, even in unexpected people and places? And will our efforts this year guide anyone else to find Christ? Let's pray that they do. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the light of life in our hearts. Help us to be guided by your light always, to follow the thread of the Spirit, to become like Christ, and to guide others to that same light. In Jesus' name, amen.